Abram Smith, Bud Elliott, back again for another episode at the Nolcast. Uh, Bud, we are back to preview the pit game uh, in its entirety. So we'll do our best with these. As always, uh, you know, we'll thank our friends at Louisiana Hot Sauce and New Iberia. Louisiana brings us uh, our title sponsor and three simple ingredients, one fantastic product. Uh, and Bud and I are both big fans of dropping the sauce on that of which puts, uh, you know, finds its way to a plate in front of us. Look, I'll start off this podcast just by being as honest with you, the listener, as possible. <laughs> I thoroughly enjoy these things. Uh, obviously, I'm fortunate to be able to to work with Bud and for us to kind of draw up ideas as to what teams look like and how games are going to fall. Uh, this year is is a hell of a challenge to do this, particularly coming off a bye week in a COVID year. So we'll do our best. We think we got a pretty good feel for what Pitt is and some of the aspects of their defense, but. It is a uh, a unique challenge in trying to figure out how this thing's going to kind of chart from week to week. Man, you said it. I, I we, we we each do our own research for a game prior because like I I want to hear Ingram's take and I know he wants to hear my take, but like I, I want to arrive at them independently, and I, that's really the way we've always done it, uh, unless one of us is busy, you know, that day of, and then we kind of lean on the other. But man, I got to tell you, I asked Ingram. I was like, so what what do you think tonight? And he's like, I got no idea. Like I. I, I, I know what Pitt does. I know what FSU does. I mean, we, we just got done talking, like, some of these guys, to the extent of how many it was, I don't know, but some of these guys really aren't into playing football, especially dur- during this really weird COVID year. I mean, the, their football is not top of mind for it, at, at least some of these Florida State players. And that's, you know, that's kind of a problem uh, when, you're, when you're trying to handicap a football game. Uh, but let's, let's go ahead and get into it. Inger, what time's the game? Okay, four o'clock. Interesting kickoff. Four o'clock. You don't see a whole lot of four o'clock kicks in college football. So the line is Florida State by one and a half, and the over under is forty nine and a half, fifty or fifty and a half, depending on where you look. That's down from an opener of fifty one, and the uh, the line actually has shifted to FSU being favored slightly, and initially it was uh, it was Pitt favored slightly. However, uh, in college there are no ties, so the value of uh, you know, plus one point is very much like not the same uh, as it is in the NFL, uh, simply because you can't win if the team's tied because there are no ties. So I, I don't read too much in, into something crossing zero personally. Yeah. So with that four o'clock ACC network, hopefully you guys get that most likely probably easier to find than the last couple games have been where you had to kind of pirate somebody's login in order to be able to watch the ball game if you didn't go in person. Be awesome if you could go to this one in person, though, for sure. It should, should be really nice weather. And uh, let's go ahead and get into this. FSU's offense versus Pitt's defense. Uh, this is brought to you by legend, the legendary team at Hamilton Home Loans. Shannon and Chad do a tremendous job and pass 100 loans and refis from the Nolcast. Guys, uh, that's just incredible. We, we, we can't thank you enough. I, I sent off five more packages on Monday. That's still wild to me every, every time somebody says, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get a loan based off a podcast, but y'all have come to trust us and, and certainly their success speaks for themselves. And, and it, it's not just us, their product is tremendous. So, okay. This is the side of the ball that I feel more comfortable speaking about. I assume you do as well. Yeah. I mean, there is, there is no other better known entity than the gentleman that put their hand in the dirt for Pitt's defense. Uh, but, but Pitt's defense in general is, is unique and certainly harkens back to, you know, some of the, from the Michigan state, teams that we saw five years ago or so. Yeah. So for those of y'all who don't know, and, and FSU's not played Pitt in a couple of years, 
they they run basically the old Michigan State defense. Pat Narduzzi was the uh, the defense coordinator for a long time for Mark D'Antonio at Michigan State. Uh, that means they're going to be very aggressive up front with their front four. They're going to ask their backers to to basically clean up, uh, you know, play play aggressively downhill, predominantly cover four scheme, middle of the field open. That's not all they run. Obviously, everybody who's been successful as a defensive play caller for a long time has to adapt at least somewhat. Uh, but they that is basically what they run. Um, now, their style is very much like those old Michigan State teams. They are really good at stopping you on a down-to-down basis, but the aggressiveness at times will be used against them. And uh, and for that reason, they give up explosive plays. They are 21st-ranked defense in SB+, 100th in explosiveness allowed, uh, 15th, and success rate allowed. So a huge gap there. I mean, that's, that's one of the largest gaps you'll see in terms of the, the split between success rate and explosiveness allowed in, in any of these games, really. But like you said, it starts up front with, with, with their front four. Patrick Jones, um, I have a hard time trying to find the exact words to this. Patrick Jones, obviously, i um, be cheering for Florida State and, and hope that he doesn't have much success. But, man, Patrick Jones is a credible football player that I thoroughly enjoy watching. And if you're not otherwise familiar with him, he's uh, he's a guy that gets after the quarterback, is makes some real good plays, kind of chasing people down, open field uh, for defensive end, is exceptionally athletic. I like Weaver, and I like some of the other pieces, but man, Patrick Jones looks like an absolute absurd football player, and uh, I'm afraid that Florida State fans will be pretty familiar with him pretty quickly if they are not otherwise. Uh, yeah, he, he's somebody who I would expect to show up often in this game. Patrick Jones, one of their you know, elite defensive ends, they have uh, seven sacks already on the year, 20 quarterback pressures, uh, six forced fumbles, incompletions, interceptions created, and uh, he's also drawn multiple holding penalties. And the thing was, if it was just Patrick Jones, you could say, okay, He's a stud. FSU should double-team him. And I don't disagree they should double-team him. But they also have Rashad Weaver, who has four and a half sacks of his own and 27 quarterback pressures. And they have Kalijah Kansi, who is an absolute beast on the interior and you know, a little bit shorter, but very, very quick guy. Devin Danielson, Tyler Bentley also get after it a little bit. But it's, it's those three and kind of a, a rotating fourth at times. Keyshawn Camp, I know, actually has, has a lot of ability. I've seen him before in, in camps. You know, I saw Keyshawn Camp in a camp. Yeah. Uh, you know, Deion Hayes is kind of another pass rush dude for them. Two and a half sacks on the season and an additional four pressures. This is just, I'm going to be straight up with you guys. This is a bad matchup for FSU's offensive line. It's really been for FSU, I, I think, since the Miami game that they've seen a very good defensive line. Uh, and, and, you know, as we go through the year, uh, this might be the best D-line FSU faces all season. Yeah, we've been talking about it for a while, and I give you credit. I, I mean, I really think, I'm not a big fan of doing this, but kind of a self, or uh, when he was in college, Jason Pierre-Paul, that's that's kind of what you get out of Patrick Jones. Uh, similar game style, similar body. Uh, like you said, they've got, they've got some ridiculous pieces, but up front is, uh, they're special. And, up, you know, commend them for recruiting these kids and, and develop them as much as they are. Obviously, they, they've got a pretty good idea as to what they're doing on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah, th- this is one of the primary games, dude, that I would say is an example of why Florida State uh, is not a team that, like, like a, a why FSU would, would change 
what they're running and, and, and switch to, to this spread option offensive attack. And the reason is because when we talk about, okay, like you probably can't block this team or you probably can't block th- that team, this is one of those teams that if you continue to run what you were running with James Blackman and, and you were not creating the extra gap in the run game, you were not creating some uncertainty with, with, with the way you're running your offense for, for the defense, you were not creating those angles, then you just simply weren't going to block these guys. This, this was going to be a game that I was absolutely going to pick, pick Pitt to win. Not that FSU's offensive line is good or, or even average, but it, it has improved this year. I, I think that they are, are well coached under Alex Atkins to the extent that he's been able to impart his wisdom to them in a limited amount of time. I do think that there is some chance that FSU's style of attack might cause Pitt to have a little bit more hesitation than normal. Uh, this is a game in which we, we've spoken about how, uh, A, FSU is very bad when they get off schedule because Jordan Travis is not capable so far of dropping back without the benefit of play action or, or the legitimate run threat and completing passes. Uh, people don't like when we say that, but it's overwhelmingly true. I just wouldn't throw them in this game. Like Pitt's guys want to get after the passer. They, 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 they want to rush the passer on the way to play in the run. They want to be super aggressive. I would do nothing but run those screens and play action in this game. Like personally, that like, I, I think that's that's kind of your formula. Uh, Pitt's linebackers are are decent. I don't think they're amazing players. I'm not not convinced they're like NFL studs, but they're they're not bad players. Uh, the defensive backs have not made a ton of plays this year. They've had some incredible busts where, where, where they allow you know 70 and 80 yarders. They did have an important player opt out in, in Paris Ford, who's actually, I believe, their leading tackler on the team uh, and a, a future NFL safety for them. And a guy who would absolutely be playing down in the box uh, for, for the Panthers and, and trying to stop FSU's you know, option attack. Uh, but he's opted out to prepare for the NFL draft. We, we talked about, like, we don't know where this team's head is, meaning Florida State. Dude, I, I also don't know, and I don't think pit writers know, by the way, I, I, don't, I don't know where, where the head of of these guys is like they've they've lost three games now or four games in a row i mean three two of them have been single score losses the other two um you know without their quarterback have been more more blowout fashion um and i just don't know yeah no i mean you're some of my indecision or or at least uh, inability to have real confidence is to dictate what's going to happen on saturday is based off exactly what you said i mean you're looking at for those of you who haven't followed Pitt game by game i certainly don't blame you uh but first of the month or the first set of the games in october they lost by a point to nc state they they came back the week later lost by a point to boston college uh, lost by 12 to Miami and then played in uh, last weekend, or I guess not last weekend, two weeks ago against, uh, against Notre Dame and lost 45 to three. So you got, you got humiliated and um, you just don't know how guys are going to respond in general. And we sure as hell don't know how either of these programs going to look coming off a of bye week. Now, you know, maybe a, a Narduzzi staff is able to get guys focused, but you know, maybe guys are able to, start to look towards Sunday and, and paychecks and have a little bit of a different seed planted in the back of their mind. It, it's just incredibly hard to know how kids are going to respond to uh, how anybody's going to respond to that matter as to some of the things that are going on uh, this year and, and how it translates to the college football field is a hell of a Rubik's cube to try to uh, unravel. Want to uh, want to point out the the Monday classic burger that we've been talking about recently. It's the best five ninety five that you could spend 
in Tallahassee is always want you to circle your calendar for the 17th of each month. Uh, and that is Reuben Day. And if you're in town, uh, do everything you can, uh, please, to support the people that make it such a better experience to be a Florida State Athletic supporter. So whether it is, uh, you know, providing really cool gear, uh, whether it is uh, putting things together like the um, uh, NYC fan uh group that a booster call that we were able to take advantage or, or take part in a week ago that Madison Social was instrumental in uh, in connecting so many of these booster groups in a Zoom meeting. Uh, they're just great people that only do uh, things that make the experience of being a Florida State Athletic supporter. And for that, we thank them uh, for it. So uh, Matt Thompson and his team are great people, and we ask that you do all you can to support them. So we, we, we mentioned that Pitt does not allow sustained drives. You are not going to go on 12-play, 80-yard drives on Pitt. When teams score on Pitt, it is overwhelmingly via the explosive drive. And what is an explosive drive? Well, the, the, the stat head definition for that is basically when you're allowing more than 10 yards per play on a drive. And so my goal, Ingram, is just to, to, to basically go for more than 10 yards to play. I, I think that's that's the obvious solution here for, for FSU. Just just ramp up the production. But no, in all seriousness, I, I think if, you, if you're FSU, you have to realize, okay, we are not going to be able to drive the ball consistently on Pitt if Pitt shows up. Now, if Pitt doesn't show up, it's a different ballgame. But if, if they don't show up, or if they show up, this could be extremely difficult. FSU, in, in this case, needs to really, I think, be willing to trade away drives in exchange for the ability to take shots, right? Like, like you have to think, okay, can this offense really drive on pit? It's unlikely. Go ahead and set up a lot of play action shots on first down. See if you can get the ball over their heads. You know, Travis does not necessarily struggle throwing, the, throwing that long ball as much as he does to like driving the ball on some of those more difficult throws. Just throwing it over everybody's head is not necessarily that tough. Although, I mean, he's had a couple that have, have floated a little bit, but try like plays where you're basically trying to trick them, I think have a better chance than plays where you're just trying to straight out block these guys. Um, and it's okay if you go three and out more than you want. If, if in exchange you're getting drives, you know, that are, are, are more explosive in nature. That's, that's really what I think the approach needs to be here. Yeah. I mean, we're certainly in, in agreement. There will, you know, there will be no long prolonged, uh, you know, four yard, six yard, two yard, you know, 13 play drives or something like that. Uh, you're going to have to find what you can and their, their linebackers are good in general, above average, maybe a better term, uh, but they're, their secondary solid, but they'll give you opportunities. Uh, so, you know, you hope to see a, a Terry that comes back and is fully focused on trying to get his money and uh, as healthy of a Jordan Travis as you're going to see. Uh, at least start the game and and um, see how much explosion Florida State can kind of dial up. And you're right, this is the the reason that you go to an offense like this is to kind of mask some of your deficiencies. And uh, in this game, uh, it's really the only you know the only chance that you have to to kind of dial up success on the offensive side of the ball. So fascinating to see uh, what the coaching staff comes up with. Uh, extra time to look at this tape, try to come up uh, with ideas and, and and kind of try to play some of the chess. That is uh, dealing with Florida State's improving, but still inadequate offensive line against uh, quite possibly you know one of the the best defensive front they're going to see all year. I think if you're Pitt, by the way, you are probably trying to say, okay, let's let's be a little bit less aggressive on the back end and see if 
if our front four can just eat up Florida State and, and we don't allow the crazy explosive play, and yet we're still able, able to knock them off schedule without blitzing, with, without being super aggressive. But we'll, we'll see if Pitt can play that style. I'm, I'm not convinced they can. But maybe they can. Yeah, I certainly imagine that's their their uh, idea, and they'll have a you know I don't know if they'll necessarily be spying uh, Travis, but everybody has a level of respect for Travis uh, on the give, and uh, Florida State will have to work to create some of the explosive plays, and it's going to be fun to watch to see how they go and and how they try to do it. So, um, also real quickly before we leave, I'm, I am interested to see. Uh, how they dial up some of the carries here. Tola Philly, we've talked about, is not necessarily a guy that's a candidate to to take it, you know, 72 yards to the house. Uh, but I think that kid maybe has the most likelihood of anybody to, you know, maybe pick up a 13-run, 19-yard here. Uh, I would expect Tola Philly to maybe be a little bit more involved trying to get him into space and, and take advantage of his vision and, and what he offers. So uh, just a, a parting note as we, we leave the offense. I think that's a very good note. Let's go to the defense. All right, let's go to the defense. And uh, as we are fond to do, we will thank our friends at Congruity. Congruity is experience your business optimized. Uh, highly custom HR solutions designed to enhance your brand, save time, save money, and reduce business risk. Everybody's got payroll. Everybody has uh, you know HR and, and compliance to some degree, uh, has to manage employee benefits. Uh, and Congruity has been a great partner for us. Matt Lewis would be an asset to anybody's team uh, as you look to refine and, and, and better uh, run your own business. Please keep him in mind. You can contact Matt 844-247-4100. Again, 844-247-4100 or Knowles at congruityhr.com. Okay. Uh, so the most significant news that I've seen so far this week in this game is that uh, Tuesday afternoon, I believe, the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette, or, or one of the papers up there, uh, wrote that they expect Joey Yellen uh, to start for Pittsburgh uh, because quarterback Kenny Pickett can throw, but he's not yet cleared to run. And sometimes a quarterback doesn't really need to run against the FSU defense so far this year, as, as sad as that is to say. But uh, anyway, um, this is certainly an interesting opportunity for FSU. And I, I, I honestly, I think if Kenny Pickett was playing this game, Pitt would have an excellent shot to win. Uh, but Ingram, the, the drop-off here uh, between Pickett and Yellen is is pretty stark. 7.3 adjusted yards per attempt for Kenny Pickett, 2.9 for Joey Yellen. So Pickett is more than twice as efficient there. Uh, one to three touchdown to pick ratio for Joey Yellen, eight to three for Kenny Pickett. Sack percentage is about 50% higher uh, for Joey Yellen, who's also you know, not, a, uh, not, not a good runner for them at all. Just a, a very... Very different offense when Joey Yellen is in there, and that's that's who they have. Um, he's not been good so far. Yeah, very different offense, and and you know obviously we have to acknowledge that Miami and Notre Dame are better than that of which uh, that of which other quarterbacks have had to face. But I mean, I'll tell you, just as a as a lay fan, uh, before we get into some of the finer points, if if Yellen has success against you, you're going to be real frustrated. This is a kid who doesn't have a great arm, who throws a lot of balls that just seem to hang in the air forever. Like, uh, you know, the play that, that we all got so frustrated or, or many of the fan base got frustrated with Woody a couple of weeks ago. There, there's going to be those type of plays where if the secondary uh, judges a ball, they could or perhaps should intercept it. It's a guy who, uh, you know, just I'm not trying to knock a kid, but doesn't have one of these arms that you immediately think, 
oh, that's a, you know, that's a big time college football player. So we'll, it'll be very interesting to see. And if they have success, like I said, uh, some of the frustrations that currently exist with Florida State's defense will uh, only rise and, and perhaps rise pretty rapidly. The interesting things about Pitt's offense are, are that you, you, you see Pitt and you say, okay, that's a, that's a, a blue-collar town and that's a, a rough-and-tumble team and they play really hard in those defense and they probably run the ball, right? Uh, no. Actually, even with their backup quarterback, Pitt is 84th in the nation in standard down run percentage. So what does that mean? On, on, on downs that like you and I grew up watching football, we just kind of intuitively think, oh, this is where you run the ball. First down, second and seven, you know, third and five, whatever, third and four, eighty fourth in the nation, and they also continue to uh, to to pass the ball on obvious passing downs, so they don't really come encounter it with any kind of draws and whatnot. They're they're just chucking the ball around. I mean, they're they're back up against Miami and Notre Dame. I, I know that they were, you know, obviously losing in those games, seventy six attempts, like they they just come out firing. Now I, I know he had a couple throws in some other games, but still, uh. Pitt just comes out chucking the ball, man. They're coming off the bye week. They obviously watched the film against Louisville, um, who, by the way, their weekend or their game this weekend, Louisville's is, is canceled due to COVID after they had a couple guys out against uh, VTech and had some more cases or contract or whatever uh, this week. Just just saw that announced on on the uh, on the Twitter feed. They probably saw FSU's defense just get absolutely gashed against Louisville, and I have to think that they're to try they're going to try to run the football a little bit more in this game at least make FSU prove they can stop it. They have been running a little bit more zone scheme than gap scheme in the recent games with, with Yellen. I don't know why that is. If FSU can stop their run here and, and make Pitt one-dimensional, this is a, a somehow, like, let me just explain this to you. Even with all the, the Pitt and the picket numbers factored in, somehow Pitt's defense actually rates worse than it, or Pitt's offense actually rates worse than FSU's defense. Now, it's close, but Pitt's offense is 92nd in SP plus FSU's defense is 85th. So advantage Knowles, right? I mean, got, got that one locked up right there for sure. They allow an absolute ton of havoc plays. They're 99th in the nation. 20% of their snaps end up in a havoc play allowed. Like that, that is freaking incredible to me. They do have some receivers who I, I think are dangerous. Can they get the ball to them? Can they block it up? I, I don't know. Jordan Addison's actually pretty good. Uh, Shockey Jacques Louis is actually a guy I've covered since high school. I, I liked him a whole lot, and uh, I think he has a lot of ability. Uh, Desir Mack, DJ Turner, like they, they've got some dudes. FSU will probably be back in their nickel look this week, which will be interesting to see how they align that. Will it still be Jarvis Brownlee in the slot? Is Miko Dotson you know, good to go at the other corner opposite of, uh, of Asante Samuels? I think we'll see more Brendan Gantt this week at uh, at safety, unless for some reason Hamsa plays, which uh, I guess we'll have to see if if he's uh, ready and, and uh, willing and able to go. But I, I don't necessarily hate this matchup for FSU's defense, and and man, I'm struggling to find matchups for this FSU defense that I don't hate. But this one, maybe Pitt gets some stuff fixed over the bye week, but uh, I maybe they don't. I I don't know if they come out here looking like they did against the first the last two teams. It's entirely possible that FSU's defense might look okay. Yeah, yeah. Not to be redundant, this again makes this game what hard is what makes this game hard to really get a grasp on. I mean, I, I think it's going to be a tough day for the offense. I think it's going to be a lot of people questioning, oh, well, when does you know when are we going to see a new quarterback or 
you know, when do we replace more of these pieces on the offensive line, et cetera. Um, if Florida State's defense comes and, and if they want to play, and obviously that's a challenge to judge right now, uh, this could be as successful a day as they have all year. I mean, it, it will be uh, it'll be really interesting. Now, I, I, all right, successful a day as they have all year when judged to the level of team that they're playing. I, I'm not trying to get too far uh, over my skis here, but uh, this is a this will be this will be really interesting to watch. And I think uh, you know Florida State's linebackers may start to just take a step forward here. And there's a, a lot of different aspects of this team that uh, is kind of hard to judge, hard to get a feel for. I do think we'll learn a little bit more about the defense and if they're able to really take a step up against uh, a, an opponent that they should show success against. So I, I want to point out here that Pitt's offense is actually the exact opposite of its defense. We, we, we spoke about how the defense's Achilles heel is big plays and the strength is preventing uh, you know, long-sustained drives. Pitt's offense is horrendous at long sustained drives, uh, but its offense is also really good at hitting the home run. I think if you're FSU, a conservative game plan here is most likely warranted. Make Pitt prove that it can move the football on you with any sort of consistency. This is one of the most like shoot yourself in the foot offenses we have seen uh, in ACC play kind of in a couple of years, man. To be honest, it reminds me of that Syracuse team that rolled into Doak a couple of years ago. Just constantly shooting themselves in, in the foot. Uh, they chuck it deep a lot. I, I think you just need to, to avoid giving up the big play here really at all costs. It, well, not at all costs, but, but at most costs. And that, that would be really my goal uh, in this game. So, man, I, I don't know what they're going to come out of, of the bye week, but they, they don't stay on schedule. They, they try to hit big plays and they, they can't drive the ball consistently with, with any sort of consistency. Two, two teams that are having really great seasons, huh? <laughs> Don't laugh. We're not supposed to laugh. Remember, we, we, we got, a, got a negative iTunes review for laughing. Everything is serious at all times on the Nolcast. I get it. Yeah. Yeah, I get it. All right. Well, uh, yeah. You don't laugh, you'll cry, right? So you Yeah. Gotta... Yeah. I've, I've had to adopt that manner many times uh, over the past couple months. Um, all right. We want to look and address the goals section of the podcast that we've kind of added that has been a... Uh, something anyways that I've enjoyed and it's given me a good idea to kind of just a quick little check mark when you look back at games and, and have some kind of ideas to how to judge how the various units perform. I wrote down one goal and maybe Ingram has some more. Like literally, I think this comes down to big play hitting and big play preventing. Can you hit explosive plays and can you prevent Pitt from hitting explosive plays? That's kind of the key to this game. Similar key to last game, by the way. So, Pitt's defense, you got to hit him. You got to hit him for big plays. Pitt's offense, unless they somehow totally change things up, you know, you basically just got to dare him to be able to drive the ball on you consistently. And I, I think if FSU can do so, they can come out ahead. And man, like what? What do you have for goals? CTMFB, and I'll uh, let our listeners try to figure out what that might be when I say that it is regarding uh, catching the ball. I would like uh, I would like no more than two drops during this game. What we saw last week or two weeks ago, excuse me, was a historically poor performance from the wide receivers. Pathetic, really. I mean, uh, hard to find another term for it. Catch the damn ball. 
do you think that is a little bit aggressive? Two drops? I, I mean, after last week, or um, should I slap myself every time I refer to uh, <laughs> refer to a game that occurred last week? I'm not sure. Uh, yeah, it's aggressive, but you got to stop dropping the ball. I mean, you can't. This this offense is limited. You have to have when success is there, you have to take it. And this wide receiver unit is uh, is maddening right now. So I like that, and uh, I'm, I'm I'm good with that. I. I don't know, man. Like, I feel like like we spent more time researching this one and just don't know what's going to happen in this one. By the way, I did think about playing an under here, which is weird because a like neither of these teams sustain drives very well, you know, uh, and FSU's defense is extremely difficult to play an under with. I I did think about a first half under actually, and and I I, I may put this wager in and, and put it in the uh, the buds bets column. On twenty four seven sports, the the total for this game is only like fifty, but my my guess, and it's just guess, but I, I I think there's some decent logic to it. My my guess is that Pitt and and the uh, the first half over under here is twenty four. I think Pitt saw how much success that Louisville had running the ball on FSU last week, and I think Pitt's going to come out and try to run the ball early. So I. I and which is going to run the clock. I I think that there's a decent chance this game is is low scoring to start. If it's not, then that's pro that probably means FSU's defense is is not playing well. And then you know that's not great. Uh, so I think a low scoring game to start probably benefits the Knolls here, most likely. You want to go? Uh, you want to go mailbag? Do we need to do predictions? By the way, like like, like should we do predictions? Oh yeah, we. <laughs> At least this week we didn't tell people we we're going to do predictions and then just not do them. So. Uh, small step in the right direction. 23-20, Florida State. 26-20, Florida State. Let's go ahead and get to the mailbag. We have a couple here. Uh, this is from... Actually, you go ahead and read the first one because I think it's probably more directed at me. And I'll, I'll, I'll read the second one to you. Average Joe asks, with the death of the NBA big man, I'm wondering if you guys think there will be or have noticed big guys that are thinking about being offensive tackles rather than basketball. Vernon Carey from Duke comes to mind as a guy who might have been better off playing football. Well, he's 6'10". I don't see a lot of guys who are, are 6'10", you know, playing, playing football just because the, the, the bend that, that is required to play that position. But, you know, there's, there's the, uh, the kid uh, who just committed to Utah that FSU either offered or, or was involved with uh, out of, I believe, the state of Arizona or Nevada, uh, named Zaraway. And he was a former basketball guy. We actually watched his highlights today on, on 24-7 during one of our recruiting council meetings. And he's 6'8". This is an interesting question because to me, it's not the guys who used to play center who were you know, 6'8", 6'10". It's not those kind of guys necessarily. I, I think it's more the guys, the Charles Barkley looking dudes, like later career Charles Barkley, like the, the heavier 6'7", you 6'8", know, type guys. The real round mound of, of rebound. Yeah, not, not that cut Charles Barkley at the beginning of his career. Uh, yeah, like the guys who would bang for rebounds. Right. Yeah, I mean, early career Barkley, if you're a younger listener, was, was nasty and very athletic. I, I think that, that is an interesting question. It's, it's probably true. I think we will see more guys who used to be your kind of thicker power forwards uh, ending up maybe playing football more. Yeah, or learning to shoot, one of the two. Yeah, I mean the you know the basketball one is is people always immediately associate with tight ends. Interested, maybe if you see more guys that that end up as as like defensive ends. 
I I am with you. You know, there's a and I I limit my soccer references here, but uh, Bud, we we had the Bud soccer filter of Christian Cristiano Ronaldo, Lionel Messi, and then probably not much else. Um, are you familiar with character named Zlatan Ibrahimovic? I am. Okay. Yeah. That's like the only forward in the world that's an elite player that's like six five, six six. It's it's just hard to move and to be that type of athlete. So uh, I'm there with you. You know, when a lot of these guys, if you're looking at guys that are six nine, six ten, skeptical at least of now. Now maybe in you know fifteen twenty years or something, we'll continue to progress and guys' coordination will continue to catch up with them, and and we'll look at a game that continues to get bigger. But yeah, I think most of the guys that would have otherwise gone basketball right now are guys that end up playing tight end or maybe the transition is this guys that you end up seeing end up uh, at defensive end and and maybe some of the more thicker uh, thicker guys finding their way uh, onto the offensive line and and tackle would obviously be the the best fit there. Yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. All right, Ingram. So this one is from Jamie. Uh, he writes, uh, hey, I hope all is well. When you fellas hear Adam Fuller talk about defensive principles, scheme, film review, et cetera, does he strike you as a guy that could be better suited for coaching in the NFL? Even if one questions his play calling at times, he gives the impression that he definitely has a firm understanding of what a defensive unit's overall mission statement is and how each of the 11 defenders uh, have a specific role in achieving it. Uh, I'm just wondering if his teaching lectures, both in the film room and out on the field, are more suited for guys who have matriculated to the professional ranks Versus guys in their late teens and early 20s. Maybe a reach, but just wanted to get you guys' take. Definitely didn't prevent him from being relatively successful as a DC at both Marshall and Memphis in short order. Do, do you see what he's getting at here? I, I think I kind of do. Uh, yeah, I do. I, <laughs> I do. And I, I see it as kind of a backhanded compliment, uh, to be honest with you. You know, a guy that's, uh, that's smart and, uh, and able to express the, the broader aspects of the game. But you know, maybe not somebody that has the connection at the at the college level, and maybe ultimately that's correct. I'm a, I'm just hesitant to say that about anybody after six games. Um, so, I do agree with the with Jamie in that you know when you sit there and, and listen to Adam Fuller, you leave the you leave with the impression that that guy is is bright and probably wins you know most chalkboard battles if if he gets the last piece of chalk. But I don't know. I, I'm having a hard time projecting uh, anybody as to where they would go after six games or, or if they would be enabled to operate at the college level. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Um, now, here's the thing. I, I think implicit in this is sort of the underlying assumption, um, and maybe Jamie's not making this, but this is the way I read it, like that is he sort of assuming that like FSU players are dumb and Fuller is seemingly very bright, you know, and maybe has trouble communicating with them. I don't think that's true necessarily, but also even if, if you assumed that FSU's players were a bunch of dummies and maybe football wise, they are, here's the thing. He had success at Memphis and Marshall. And I've got a, I've got a Knowles degree on my wall, right? I'm proud. I'm, I'm proud to be, be a graduate, but we all know like Florida State's not the hardest school to get into. It's not the easiest. But it's damn sure harder to get into than Memphis or even Marshall. I mean, Marshall legitimately takes non-qualifiers into their school. They can't play for a year, and then they get on the team later. Like, like that was kind of the whole Marshall as a prep school on campus joke, except it wasn't totally a joke. It was rooted in some truth. 
So I think this idea that that uh, um, that he can't communicate with with guys who are maybe not brain surgeons is false. I think he can't communicate with some guys who aren't willing to learn, aren't willing to want to learn, maybe accept, you know, some teachings. You know what I mean? Like that's that's something that that I I think he probably struggles with. I think his whole staff has struggled with with getting buy-in from some of these guys. I, I think that they are very much ready to get this get this year over with and, and get to a reset. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm still fairly impressed by the turnarounds that he had at Marshall and Memphis. And my opinion of Adam Fuller is much more informed by what he did there than what he's done through five or six games in the weirdest season ever at Florida State. You know what I mean? Like, like to me, I'm still somebody who your larger, your larger sample set is going to control my opinion of you unless, uh, to steal a, a Bill James term, you ever heard the term uh, signature significance? For the audience out there, if you haven't, like it's basically when something is just so impactful, even if there's not a big sample set of this thing happening, uh, like you know, the N equals one just is that damn important, right? And you're saying, oh, okay. So it's like if a guy all of a sudden throws 101 in a baseball game. Like, okay, I don't need a huge sample set to know that guy can throw 101. You know, if an enormous asteroid hits the Earth, we're going to consider that pretty significant, even if, you know, even if we don't have a whole lot of, of sample sets of those. Uh, but I don't think we have that type of event here at FSU yet, even though this defense is historically bad. And the reason I don't think that is because of the really weird situations that we have right now surrounding the team. Final question of the night is how can first-year head coaches at BC and Arkansas have such better results than Florida State? Well, uh, I mean, first of all, I think we have to acknowledge that they have probably done a better job. Uh, they also were most likely walking into better cultures. Not necessarily more at athleticism, uh, but I think better cultures. I don't think at BC you have a problem where you have a lot of these guys who some for some reason think they're really good, even though basically since they've stepped on campus, they have not been any good. You know, guys who are still tweeting their high school highlights out on Instagram, not tweeting, but you know, posting on Instagram reels, despite the fact that they're running third third string as a redshirt sophomore. I, I think, you know, culturally there's some stuff you gotta fix. I don't know that those cultural problems existed necessarily at Arkansas and at Boston College. Um, I'll also note that Arkansas's only two wins happened against fellow first-year coaches. And Boston College has four wins on the year. Uh, they beat Duke in the opening weekend. Duke is probably the only ACC team that is clearly worse than four State so far. They beat Texas State. They beat Pitt when Pitt's quarterback... I don't know if he broke his ankle, but he jacked up his ankle pretty bad. And then they beat Georgia Tech, a team that has uh, been falling apart down the stretch. I mean, G-Tech uh, pretty much dominated the last three or four weeks. They seem to be falling apart a little bit. They've done a better job than Florida State has this year. I think they got a lot better buy-in. My guess is that overall, Boston College is not going to stay better than Florida State over the next couple of years. But, you know, we'll see. They also, they, they got lucky in the transfer quarterback market. They got a kid in Phil Jerkovec who most people didn't think was any good because Notre Dame couldn't do anything with him. And, you know, look, Boston College has found a way to, to make him work. They, I mean, FSU has their own transfer quarterback success story so far 
in Jordan Travis, but you know, Jerkerbeck's been much better. Arkansas is the interesting comparison. Although I I do agree with you that in general, the you know the, you're getting a high level kid. I mean, look, you're looking at a SEC program, but maybe not kids that have quite the high school pedigree or at least perceived pedigree uh, that Florida State does at Arkansas. Uh, but it does fit, you know, where you have um, Bielema leave in seventeen. You've got a two year head coach there with Chad Morris, and then you've got a, a new guy coming in. And I think you have to to realize that, uh, and this isn't a knock on Norville or whatever else, but Sam Pittman's a really good coach, a really good coach who's always been able to get a hell of a lot of emotional buy-in uh, from the guys that he's worked with. And and that seems to have occurred. Now, Bud, you're right about the wins that Arkansas has gotten. And uh, I think you you said to me before we started recording that really when you look at uh, – some of the metrics, they're not all that different of a team. Um, obviously, the the game against Auburn, they probably should have won. Um, and, and when you look at Arkansas from an eyeball perspective, they certainly look like a, a much better team that carries themselves in a, a different direction. Yeah, there's a reason Pittman was a $900,000 assistant coach uh, before he took that job. So it'd be interesting to see how that plays out over time. But it is an interesting comparison as far as you know, a two-year coach in the early signing period uh, and then Pittman taking over and, and having at least some some initial early success that uh, certainly people didn't expect. I mean, a lot of people thought Arkansas might win one game all year. I I was in that camp for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I was wrong about Arkansas. They also they they play really hard for Sam Pittman. Oh yeah. Oh, they buy in. They emotionally buy in. Hundred uh, percent. Some FSU guys, not all. I think some of them play really hard. And some of them don't. But yeah, I, I will also note that you know Caleb sends this question. I think it's a good question. It, it also let's note that we've also seen some real stinkers from first year coaches. I mean, Ole Miss comes out and their offense looks absolutely dynamite, and yet their defense is you know horrendous. And Ole Miss has two wins. Mississippi State comes out, crushes an LSU team that. Yeah, they, they've scored 0, 14, 2, and 14 points over the last four games after dropping 44 on LSU. Um, th- there are a lot more examples I could point to you of first-year coaches in the COVID era uh, who are not doing well than there are of the ones who are doing well. All right, y'all. We'll look forward to the game at 4 o'clock on Saturday. As always, we'll have an instant reaction podcast made available for you uh, as soon as we can. Here's to uh, Florida State finding a way to go three and four. I always want to thank you uh, for the support that you've given us historically. If you find the time to give us a five-star review on iTunes or any other podcast platform that you find the Nolcast on, uh, know that it is wildly appreciated by Bud and myself. And uh, until Saturday evening, somewhere around 8, 30, 9 o'clock, uh, we'll sign off and, and we will talk to you here in the near future. This has been the Nolcast. We will thank our friends at Madison Social uh, ever so quickly here. This has been the Nolcast. 
The Knollcast is created and hosted by Bud Elliott and Ingram Smith, music by Judson Wright, and produced by Justin Robinson. Go Knowles. Thank you.